How you doing there? How you doing there? You well? It's a Wednesday, the 23rd of June, so it is 2021. It's me, the BBG, live from Salford with uh, what else but Wednesdays. Wednesdays, Richie Allen Show, that's the one. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. What was going on there? It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, the terrific Dr. Marcus De Bruyne will join me live from Rush in County Dublin in around about a half an hour. It's been quite a while since Marcus was on. I'm very fond of him. He's very, very intelligent. He's always got some interesting information. We'll catch up with Dr. Marcus De Bruyne this hour. Lots to tell you before then and even later on in the programme. You can reach me through uh, the website richieallen.co.uk or indeed you can tweet, so you can, BBG Richie. Tweet BBG Richie. Let's get rid of the old theme tune there. That's the one. Yeah. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. There's another variant. Did you see that? There's a new variant. Are you shitting yourselves, are you? It's brand new and it's in the country. It's the Delta Plus variant. And it binds to the lungs is what it does. It nearly drowns you. You could get drowned by it, the new Delta Plus variant or something. And all the presenters on UK television, radio, television and radio this morning were very breathless with excitement about the new variant. Because the discovery of a new variant is like a baby gender reveal party for the MSM presenters. New variants. Yeah, new variants. You're not scared. No, you're not too bothered at all by it. All right. Uh, Paul Hunter is a top, top, top professor now. A top man at the Norwich School of Medicine. The Norwich School of Medicine. It's where Delia Smith learned how to bake, apparently. Anyway, Paul Hunter, what do you know about the new Delta Plus variant? Not a lot at the moment. Um, We've seen... (laughs) Not a lot, but we're being told that we should be cacking ourselves. It's not the first time that we've seen a major variant developing additional mutations. And it must be said, most of the time when that happens that variant hangs around for a few weeks before disappearing. So it clearly is something we need to keep an eye out on. But at the moment, I think we shouldn't draw uh, any strong conclusions or um, get too uh, alarmed by this, uh, this news. Good stuff. Well said, Paul. But that's not what you're supposed to say. News. Given the transmissibility already of the existing Delta variant, a variant that is more transmissible <laughs> than that could cause some problems, couldn't it? You see, he, he, Paul, we told you before you came on, even though you're the doctor, we told you, you've got to sell the Delta Plus variant, Paul. It's no good coming on and saying that you don't know anything about it and that it'll probably be harmless, all right? Well, absolutely, yes. And and again... Good man. Again, it's not just the transmissibility, it's the uh, susceptibility to prior immunity through vaccination or, or previous infection. And, and you have to take all of those things into consideration. Despite the fact that we heard a few weeks ago that a single dose isn't of either of the vaccines isn't that good at at stopping an infection. 
We know in the last few days that a single dose is still very effective at stopping people getting severely ill and needing hospitalisation. So at the moment, yes, it's something we need to keep an eye out for um, and make sure we judge uh, what's happening. But at present, I think we can't draw any strong conclusions either way. Good man, Paul. But it is already in the UK. <laughs> It's fantastic. The presenters leading the experts. Paul, look, come on now. It's already in the UK, isn't it? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, well, as indeed several other um, variants are as well. So uh, the issue is whether or not it's going to be continuing to increase. Now, part of the one of the issues is that it does tend to take about a week on average for um uh, positive samples from the day that they were sampled for them to be sequenced so that we will know exactly what strain they are. Good man, Paul. So many variants now in the country. Kent, Brazil, Alpha, Delta, Gamma, Indigo. How can we keep on top of them? So Paul is playing it down. The presenter is ramping it up. Then she sees his it's not too much to worry about card and she raises him with pregnant women. Now, we've talked in the past a lot about the Brazil variant, P1. A lot of concern mm -hmm. in Brazil now uh, about the impact it seems to be having on pregnant women and their unborn children. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about what is happening. Come on, Paul. I want you to scare the living bejesus out of the audience. Come on now. Pregnant women, unborn babies. Well, uh, yes, I'm certain... I, uh, He's absolutely flummoxed by this goon of a presenter. He can't get over it. You should see the clip. Hadn't picked up on the issue about the pregnant women in uh, in children at the moment in Brazil. Uh, so um, I'm, I can't really comment on that because I haven't uh, read that, I'm afraid. OK. OK. Oh, OK. Paul, you're just not doing your job. She moves them on. She moves them on. We're not getting any change out of Paul. Paul, you had one job to do today, and that's to scare the piss out of the audience. And you failed miserably. So Paul didn't know anything about pregnant women in Brazil coming, well, suffering as a result of COVID and their unborn babies suffering as a result of the Brazilian variant. Could it be the jabs, I wonder? Maybe. I'm not asking. Excuse me. I am asking. I'm not telling because I don't know. Could it be the jabs? Could the jabs be causing damage to pregnant women and to their unborn babies? I don't know. But I was very interested in a piece in the Sunday Times on Sunday, funnily enough, which uh, talked about evidence emerging that the jabs are messing with the menstrual cycles of women. If you don't believe me, look it up, Sunday Times. So is it possible that the jabs could harm unborn babies? It might very well. There is a little bit more before she kicks him off. This woman, Sarah Hewson, this wretched presenter, dreadful, fear-mongering little bitch is all she is. She moves on to the flu, the coming flu epidemic and COVID. Got no change out of Paul now with the Delta Plus variant. Paul's not biting. She's got no change whatsoever about unborn babies in Brazil. How can we just make something? What can we do? Can we salvage this interview? and scare some people. So she brings up the flu. There are concerns out there now that we've got a problem with flu coming up in this winter season, combined with coronavirus. And I wonder how big a role the flu vaccination and booster vaccinations are going to play. Well, absolutely. Well, the first thing to say is you're quite right. I mean, 
what I've been talking about, the equilibrium between immunity and, and the spread of the virus, we've not had much exposure to influenza since um, last winter, so uh, getting on for uh, 18 months or more. And, and it's quite likely that we will see increased spread of influenza, maybe this winter, maybe the following winter. Flu is coming out of retirement, you see. Winter. And the problem with that is that if you get COVID and influenza at about the same time... Is that possible? Is it? Are there any doctors out there? Is it possible to get the flu and COVID-19 at the same time? Could be, I don't know. Then the chances of dying are substantially increased, <laughs> uh, about twofold compared to having COVID without flu. Well done, Paul. He's back on message now. And so it is going to be really important that particularly for uh, the uh, more vulnerable population, which I think is now going to be people over 50, that they do get their influenza injections. And I think we, we haven't been told for certain, but... I Wait for this. He said that the vulnerable people are now people over 50. It used to be senior citizens. It used to be senior citizens with comorbidities. They're bringing down, they're lowering the, the, the threshold all the time for vulnerable people. Pretty soon, vulnerable people will be people over 16. Anybody over 16 who's, who's never been in hospital, extremely vulnerable, we think, and therefore should have 16 injections between now and Christmas time. Anyway, this is good. He's going to talk about mixing and maxing the jabs. Mi mixing and matching the jabs. But I, the mood music certainly is that we will, uh, those of us at least over 50, will be offered uh, booster COVID vaccinations uh, in, in, the, in the autumn. And indeed, the government has ordered more than enough vaccines to actually provide those, those boosters. Sure it has. Those booster doses. Probably with a different vaccine manufacturer to what we had for the first two boosters as this well. This is important now. Probably with a different vaccine manufacturer. Why? So if you had two AstraZenecas this, this year, this spring, why would you not just get a third AstraZeneca? Or if you had Pfizer's or Moderna's, why wouldn't you just continue with the one you started with? Well, he's got an answer and it's pure vaudeville. Different vaccine manufacturer to what we had for the first two boosters as well, because I think the evidence is tending to suggest that mixing and matching in that way might actually improve response. Wow. He said the evidence is that mixing and matching might, in fact, improve response. He actually said that. Wow. Wow. Mix and match the jabs and you'll be fine. No, really. No. The vaccinators at the vaccine centres shouldn't choose. Just do a lucky dip. It makes sense. Just close your eyes. If you're the administer, the administrator, if you're administering the vaccines, just close your eyes and just put your hand into a big barrel of boxes of vaccines. And just take one out and ah, sure, look, it doesn't matter. Because if it's not the one you got previously, it'll, well, it'll be better for you in the long run. Apparently, makes sense to me. What did I tell you yesterday about these people going on national television and making it up as they go along with no fear whatsoever of being destroyed? It's wonderful. Now, David Nabarro is the UN Special Envoy on COVID. Now, before we hear from David, it's important that I tell you something about him. So I don't want you to be too hard on him now. I think David was dropped on his head when he was a baby and then curb stomped by mommy after he hit the, the ground. 
And then Daddy whacked him upside the head with a two-by-four. That's the only thing that explains David Navarro. Because I don't believe for a minute that he's a big pharma shill. This guy believes what he says. He was on Sky News this morning with the Ginger Ninja. They're old pals, they speak all the time. Whacked upside the head with a two-by-four, dropped on his head when he was a baby and corpse-stomped by his mum. What else would explain this? The virus is still in our midst and the virus is mutating, so we have to go on being careful about it. And I am advocating continued physical distancing, continued mask-wearing, for the time being, uh, including in countries where there's a lot of vaccination. Uh, how are you feeling, Dr David, about the Delta Plus variant that we're hearing about? It's only a handful of cases at this stage, but it is being picked up. Go on. Yes, and that issue of variants is what we are watching uh, all over the world. They are going to go on coming. We will go from Delta to Lambda and then on to the other Greek letters. Uh, that's inevitable. <laughs> I told you, barking mad. We will go from Delta to Lambda and then on to the other Greek letters. Uh, that's inevitable. The Oscar, we'll, we'll go through the entire Greek alphabet with variants. It's inevitable. You'll have the Oscar variant, the golf variant, Romeo variant, X-ray variant, the only way to keep up with them and to properly inform the public about where each variant is and how transmissible it is, is every Thursday at 7.30 on BBC One, they'll need to do a weekly chart show. It's the only bloody way. Brand new entry this week at number 30, it's the Golf Variant. Doing well in Bolton, Abergavenny and Cleethorpes. Down three places to number 29, it's the Bravo variant. Hospitalised four people in Bradford this week and killed a spinster in Edinburgh. It also gave a headache to the manager of the Legion in Bolton. Climbing six places to number 28, it's the Romeo variant. Ran through a care home yesterday. I do a lot for charity, charity. But that's how it's going to have to be, right? Because we're going to have all these variants. You get the picture. David Navarro there and... Uh, and Paul Hunter. <laughs> but fear not, children, because a major new tool in the fight against COVID has been unveiled. Where would you unveil a major tool, a game changer, in the fight against this monstrous disease? There's only one place I'd reveal it. Teesside Airport. <laughs> That's right. Here's Sky News' Jane Secker. This is lovely. A machine that sucks in air and tested for COVID is being tested at Teesside Airport. If the trials are successful, airborne pathogen detection machines could be used in places where there are a lot of people, like airports, hospitals and retail outlets. Our correspondent, Fraser Maud, is at Teesside Airport for us. Uh, Fraser, just, just tell us how this is working. Yeah. Well, this is the machine itself. It's cost over a million pounds to develop with money provided, uh, funding provided by the government through UK innovation. And uh, it, it really is an incredibly clever piece of kit. It's sucking the air in, as you say, uh, circulating that, testing the air molecules, <laughs> testing for pathogens. And in theory and in practice here at the moment, uh, during this trial run, it's detecting uh, any indication that there is COVID 
in the air. It's a very, very clever piece of kit. It's been developed by Cromec, a company that are based in Sedgefield. Just yeah, Sedgefield. So he's standing outside Teesside Airport with a machine which is soaking in the air and testing the air for COVID. And he's got the manufacturer with him. A million quid was spent on it. Just down the road here, so great news for the local economy as well. The CEO is Dr Arna Basu, joins me now. Dr Arna Basu. So just tell us, how, how does it work, Doctor? Um, he just told us how it works. It sucks in the fucking air and it tests it for COVID. And if, it's, if there's COVID in the air, it tells you. If there isn't, it doesn't. It couldn't be simpler. Uh, this is a all-in-one air, airborne COVID-19 detection system. All-in-one airborne COVID-19 detection system. It collects a large volume of air, uh, ideally suited for large, large indoor spaces like an airport lobby, and converts that air into a droplet of water. So it, it uh, filters out all the particles such as dust, or skin cells that hangs around in air and really concentrates just the viruses or the pathogenic particle into a droplet of water and that is then taken through a biological protocol and, and, and analyzes that for the presence or absence of COVID-19. There you are. And it's, it's good for use in large indoor areas. You see, I know you're giggling at this and I'm giggling at it, but, but this is deadly serious. We really are now beyond anything that George Orwell or Aldous Huxley could ever have imagined. They're talking about deploying this thing indoors and turning it on and getting COVID readings from the air. To do what then, presumably? Well, let's presume that they get their little droplet of water and they say that it's got COVID in it. What do they do then? Shut everything down? Tell everybody to go home? Well, yes, that's the answer. The next question is, how did this all come about, the funding and everything? And I don't think you'll be too surprised by the answer. We started an airborne pathogen detection system back in 2018, way before the pandemic hit us. Way before the pandemic? Under a program from the US Department of Defense Agency, DARPA. DARPA, the US Department of Defense Agency, DARPA which were looking really to build a early warning system against the threat of uh, bioterrorism. So that started in, uh, back in 2018. Right, back in 2018, we built this thing with DARPA money, and by the way, with Bill Gates money. Innovate UK. Innovate UK, government offshoot. Gates has put money into it. Honest to God, I'm not making it up, right? So we started this back in 2018, and originally it was all about biowarfare. As an early warning detection system, so we would turn this on, suck in the air and tell you if there was some biohazard in the air, airborne. See where this is going? And when the pandemic hit, we started looking at a more specific uh, sort of detection system, which was then funded by Innovate UK. And as a result, we... Innovate UK and Billy Poison Jab Gates. ...developed the COVID-19 system. The system we are developing for under the DARPA program, it will be able to detect every pathogen that is present in the air. It's also this operations, the principle of operation is very similar. It takes a large volume of air and provides the full pathogenic signature of that air using DNA sequencing, which is ideal to be used as an early warning systems against any pathogenic threats. We are moving to James Cameron's world, the artificial intelligence world of Skynet and machines running everything. That's where we're going. And these things will be deployed in the future. And as I said, they will tell people where they can and cannot go 
where they can and cannot visit and when they must go home and confine themselves to their homes. Everybody thinks it's great. DARPA and Innovate UK. Yeah, the military. Yeah, wonderful, isn't it? Uh, Brendan Wren is a vaccinology professor, London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. He was also on Kay Burley's programme this morning. Um, should the government or could the government open before July the 19th because the data is so good? I think uh, it, it could be possible. I think the, the government has been a, a bit overcautious. Um, there's a certain amount of corona mania going on and, and we do need to take a wider view of uh, society as a whole um, and a wider view of the fact that um, excess deaths for the past few months um, are less than in previous years. Um, because, uh, for example, many other infectious diseases are, are far lower now. And I've looked at the numbers for other respiratory diseases, uh, diarrheal diseases, and even sexually transmitted diseases. So an indirect consequence of, of the lockdowns is that um, um, other infectious diseases are, are a lot lower. Um, the evidence that uh, the, the, the new variant, the Delta variant, um, will uh, increase like in previous ways uh, I believe is unlikely because obviously we have a fully vaccinated or nearly fully vaccinated population. So you think the um, overall death toll this year is lower than it was in previous years? Yeah, he doesn't think you ginger meringue. He knows, he knows, he's already told you. Yes, yeah, certainly for the past three months and, um, and, and looking forward, uh, the, the you know we're approaching the summer months now, so you know we we know from scientific work that the uh, the virus and its variants um, uh, in uh, are, uh, are less transmissible actually in during heat and, and longer daylight hours, um, and we are in a stronger position certainly in terms of not just vaccination but in terms of testing and tracing and and treating the virus. So. Um, you know, that, that's partly why I believe that uh, we could open up sooner. Mm, take that, Kay. Should we keep the masks then in the future, as David Nabarro said? I think that that should be voluntary, in my view. Um, I'm a bit sceptical about masks. They don't act as a physical barrier to the tiny, tiny uh, viral particles. Who's been saying that for some time now, that the masks are no barrier to the tiny particles of the viral, the virus, the emissions. Well, everybody who's been on this programme for the last 15 months. Um, and, and if people do uh, handle masks, I would urge them, where possible, not to reuse them and, um, and, and sanitise your hands after use, because uh, a lot of people are using them, overusing them, and, um, and, and with the hands that they're... they're uh, potentially transmitting the virus. So, uh, so I, I, I think um, personally, I think masks are of dubious value. Mm. Brendan, 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 you'll never be on Sky News ever again. I just thought I'd tell you that. No, you can't tell the truth, son. Jesus, no, no. No, you didn't get the memo, did you? We need to keep wearing the masks until 2046 at the very, very earliest we need to get 16 to 17 jobs a year. If you say that, you'll be a superstar. 
You'll be a superstar, yeah. What is it now? What is it now? 23 minutes past five o'clock. This is the Richie Allen Show. It is live from Salford. Super Salford. Scorchio Tremendo. Not so much today. It's nice and mild today. I'm with you till, I don't know when, Marcus De Bruyne. Dr. Marcus will be with me shortly. We'll have a, a very interesting conversation, I have no doubt. Later on, we'll talk um, more. Don't know what we're going to do in hour two. I'll figure it out as we go along. Before I say any more, though, the vaccine minister, Nadim Zahawi, Nadim Zahawi, uh, he's at Downing Street and he's flanked by, well, obviously a pair of Egypts. I, I don't know what their names are. And he's bragging about the milestone of 60% of adults in the country having two doses now. So as of today, six in ten adults have allegedly, if you believe the government, have had two doses of a COVID-19 jab. Lovely. Shall we eavesdrop on conference? I can confirm we've reached the milestone of three in five, three in five of all adults getting the protection of a second dose. Because we've been able to move at such a pace, any adult in the UK can now book their first dose. In the two days after we opened our booking system to anyone over the age of 18, uh, there were six appointments being booked every second. And I've been absolutely thrilled to see videos of young people coming forward at some of our major vaccination events last weekend, and I'm sure they'll be doing the same this coming weekend. The enthusiasm is making a huge difference. We've already given first doses to almost half of all 25 to 29-year-olds in England. And only a week after the programme opened to all adults on Friday, one-third, one-third of people aged between 18 and 24 have had their first dose. To all of the young people who have stepped up, I want to say a huge thank you. You've protected yourself, you've protected your families, and you've protected your community. Mm. He said half, didn't he? Of 25 to 29-year-olds, I think, have already had one of the jabs. Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Yeah, it's not funny really, is it? The enthusiasm has been extraordinary, said Nadim Zahawi. Well, the pressure brought to bear on youngsters, of course, has been incredible, hasn't it? We've witnessed it. The campaigns, the social media campaigns, the lies, the never-ending lies about protecting granny, protecting older people, getting freedoms back by accepting the jab, getting to travel overseas. It's dreadful stuff. What is it? Uh, now it's uh, 26, well, 26 and a half minutes it is past the hour. BBG Richie is my Twitter thing. You can also reach me through the website, the contact form there, richieallen.co.uk. As I see those messages coming in, I'll read them out, or as many as I can. I'll have time in hour two to read many of these, so we'll, we'll do that in hour two. 
Okay, right, all right. Uh, don't bombard me with them, by the way. If you bombard me with them, I'm less likely to read them. What I mean is if, if you as an individual bombard me with three, four, five, six messages, uh, I'm less likely to read them. You'll just confuse me. So just make a point in an email, a succinct point, and I will read it out. Do you hear me? Do you hear me, I said. All righty. So Marcus de Bruyne then is in Dublin. He's in Rush. You'll know that he's a man of, I would say, great principle, uh, he made a big sacrifice last year, of course, uh, st- standing up, personal sacrifice, standing up for senior citizens in Ireland. He, he took a stand against the treatment of care homes and people in care homes by the Irish Health Authorities. So he'll be with me in a few minutes' time. We'll talk about that and we'll talk about more uh, besides as well. And for some reason, it's one of those weeks, isn't it? Bloody hell, blooming hell. Things are not working for me here in studio, but we'll persevere and they will work. Yeah, they're working now. That's all right. Thank God for that. I might have had to call my engineer or my producer. Uh, Both of whom are figments of my imagination. Billy Joel, then, we didn't start the fire. Your Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. Richie Allen Show, towers somewhere, hidden somewhere in Salford. Dr. Marcus de Bruyne is next. Don't miss him. Right, Billy Joel and we didn't start the fire on the Richie Allen show. 29 minutes to the top of the hour. My guest this hour doesn't need much introduction. I'm very proud of him and I don't say things like that lightly. He's an Irish doctor based in Rush in County Dublin who quit the Irish Medical Council because of his uh, disgust and dismay at the Irish state's handling of nursing homes during the COVID-19 outbreak that has had consequences for him personally and professionally. Um, We've spoken quite a few times, but not recently. And I wanted to catch up with him because there's much to catch up with. Delighted to welcome back to the programme, Dr. Marcus de Bruyne. Marcus, I can't believe we haven't spoken in 2021. I thought we'd spoken in in, in late winter, early spring, but we haven't. It's been ages. Welcome back, by the way. Thanks very much, Richie. Yeah, it is. It's it's nice to speak. It's nice to see that you're still on the go. I've kind of uh, I've, I've retreated, I suppose, a little bit now and again. You you do tend to get uh, a bit exhausted by the kind of the 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 backlash and the onslaught of kind of uh, negativity that you get when you raise kind of questions that are unpalatable or that you know. And it's not just me. I mean, it's other other doctors too, but I'm surprised that you haven't found this pretty exhausting. Um, and given that we seem to be kind of chipping away at an iceberg and we yeah. don't seem to be getting any huge amount of cracks into it or making a huge amount of headway. So I suppose it's a little bit disheartening. It's nice to be on the right side of history, I suppose, but it's a little bit disheartening to see um, um, the, 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 the cliff face as such a, as such a daunting kind of uh, an edifice, you know? It is. I, I, do you know how I do it? Because I have been asked by old colleagues from Radio in Ireland and elsewhere, how do you do the same subject pretty much every day for 15 months? What I've managed to do somehow is see the the, the, the folly of it, the, the humour in it, uh, the vaudevillian nature of it, Marcus. So what I do is when I see these goons on television lying through their teeth, I find great humour and great mirth in it. And that's kept me going. You've got a great sense of humour. And, and I know this from speaking to you, you've got the capacity to laugh at the situation you found, you know, you found yourself in, which is brilliantly, it's a wonderful thing for you. But that's how I've done it. I mean, you're the, you, is, is, does that work for you too? You know, just laughing at it from time to time to kind of, I suppose, expel the angst by, by seeing the humour? 
Yeah, I suppose, I mean, there is a humorous side to it. There's a very sad side to it. There's a very upsetting side. There's a very distressing side, a very disheartening side. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's very difficult as, a, as a, a family doctor and a former kind of member of a, of, a, of a profession that I had a lot of respect for and had a lot of uh, respect within the, the profession um, to become a kind of a bit of a pariah and an outlier. And not just me, but, but any of us. There are a small handful of doctors um, in Ireland, as there are in the UK, who have, you know, very, very serious questions um, about the management of what's been going on. So, you know, it, it's, it's been difficult in the sense that I suppose, you know, you, you, you do feel a, a, a strong sense of isolation and you do find, I mean, during the height of this, I did find myself kind of scratching my head, looking in the mirror, you know, on several occasions saying, am I really crazy? Is this really, is this really, really happening? Is this going on? That That's kind of gone now and what I've kind of, rather than humor, I suppose, I, I, I've kind of settled in to a sense of kind of complacency. I mean, you know, the, the, the facts, the hard facts of COVID in terms of who it's dangerous to, who it kills, the age profile of people that die from COVID, you know, the, the, the hiding, the systemic kind of hiding of, of, of side effects from the vaccine. All of that information is there. It's solid. It's, it's real, you know. So I, I find kind of comfort and solace in the fact that eventually, you know, this, the reality, the truth of what's going on will overcome the fear. You know, I think that there's two kind of realities that we're living in. We're living in the, the objective reality of kind of hard fact and data. And, and that, that reality has been, you know, pushed to one side in replace of this fear narrative. Oh my God, everyone's dying from COVID. Children are getting it. It's a horrible disease. Young people can die from it. Thousands of people are dropping dead. We all have to wear masks. It's terrible. There's, we have to have these big restrictions. You know, there's that kind of fear sense. And I think that was kicked off by what went on in kind of in Malmo and Italy. But that has to be, I think that kind of trigger, those sorts of fear triggers that happened, like what the, the body bags in Malmo, that they have to be as yet unpacked. Because I mean, I've done a little bit of reading, and I'm sure you have, and a bit of looking into the situation that that kind of resulted in the in the deaths in in Malmo and Italy and the horrific kind of you know the 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 huge numbers of of elderly people that died from covid and there were huge situational kind of um reasons for what happened there but you know the the fear took over and most people felt oh this is going to happen in our backyard and loads of people are going are going to die and that fear is still there you know there's a lot of kind of ignorance there's a lot of kind of poverty of intellect out there there's a lot of poverty of independent thinking so the fear really holds sway over society and i think people like boris johnson and people like our own politicians they're very very shrewd people i, I don't think that they're are very ethical or very morally based. Their kind of ideology is based on holding on to power, staying in power and, and keeping their jobs and keeping their identities. And in that sense, they have an obligation or they feel an obligation to feed into the fear and cultivate the fear. So we're in a very kind of a strange place where kind of common sense, logic, facts, all of those things have been pushed to one side and just the kind of fear narrative and, 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 and the, the political feeding into that and feeding off of that is what's going on. But I'm fully confident that that's not going to last, that the facts of this 
will eventually um, come to the fore because the statistics don't lie. The data doesn't lie. I mean, we've had 60, nearly 60,000 cases of COVID in the age group of zero to 24-year-olds in Ireland and not one reported death, you know, on, the, on, on our national kind of statistic kind of uh, organisation, the state body that monitors yeah. um, um, the census and that, you know. So, so the facts will come out. So I take comfort in that rather than, than I suppose, than the laughter and the humour so much. Fair you know? enough. Now, th- this poverty of intellect you, you describe very eloquently, you say that the facts are there, which they are, and you've just given a stark fact, you know, a real fact about deaths in Ireland. And I'd love to agree with you. Now, it's not that I disagree with you, because I don't know. I hope you're right. I'm sceptical because I believe you on the poverty of intellect. People are not going to get this information from RTE or the commercial broadcasters. They're not. But they're not going looking for it, Marcus. This is the thing that really kills me. There's no curiosity, or there seems to be a lack of curiosity. There seems to be a lack. We used to have a default position, didn't we, in Ireland? We were good. I think the Irish were as good as anybody. Our default position was when a politician opened his or her mouth, um, they they were having us on. That was default position. And we would look to take it down or tear it down. I'm not so sure that remains or that it endured. I think now it's we'll swallow what we're given. And, and I think it might take abject poverty, losing your home. And I shudder to think, you know, I've had an experience, Marcus, of poverty in my lifetime. And I never want to be there again. I wonder, will it take mm. that before people say... Hang on a second now, what's really going on here, you know? Well, I I suppose, you know, that's a really interesting question. What's it going to take for the counterfactuals, the kind of evidence, like when you look at people like the the professor of evidence-based medicine at Oxford University, Professor Carl Hennigan or Sinept Gutra, or you look at kind of all the evidence there for for ivermectin and that's been kind of suppressed, I would imagine, by by the vaccine manufacturers, because if we have alternative therapies, you you don't get emergency licensing licensing for drugs. So it's a really interesting question. What's it going to take for the counterfactuals, for the solid evidence, for the, the, the real story of COVID to actually emerge and people to kind of come out of their shell and go, oh, yeah, you know, they, the government got it wrong. There were serious problems. This was a disease that's just dangerous for the elderly and we should have just protected those. What's it going to take to shift us into that zone? I, that's a very, very interesting and very difficult question. You know, some people are thinking that maybe when they start kind of pushing the vaccine on children and on kids, who absolutely do not need a COVID vaccine, but when they start and they will start pushing that, is that going to push people over the edge? Is it when we, you know, I mean, we're now in a season now, a seasonal lull of coronavirus. It happened the same story last year. We get the kind of seasonal dip and it's going to kick off again in terms of the seasonality. Coronaviruses are cold viruses. They're seasonal. They've always been seasonal since they've been, were discovered back in the 1940s. So we're we're going to see another kickoff. Is that going to be the thing that's going to make people say, oh, no, I'm not going to do this again. The government has it wrong. So it's a very, very interesting question. I was reading something this morning. The only analogy I can come up with for the situation that we're in at the moment is is South Africa, apartheid in South Africa in the kind of 70s and 80s. You know, yeah. the, the vast majority of, of people in that zone, in that kind of 
time frame, you know, had some pretty fixed, firm beliefs that were totally counterintuitive, anti-moral, anti-logical, just made no sense. But the vast majority of people, a huge number of people, held those beliefs. And like, for example, you could go to the toilet and maybe you might say, there's no harm, I don't feel any problem with this black person going to the toilet beside me. And somebody else of, of similar intellect or education would come back to you and they would have an argument. They would say to you like things like, well, you know, I understand what you're saying, Richie, and yeah, yeah. you know, all people are equal, but if if we let this man urinate in the same toilet as us, next yeah, yeah. thing you know, his wife, he'll be having sex with your wife and breaking into <laughs> your house. You know, so no matter what you say, when you come up with the counterfactuals and you say, like, here's the evidence, it doesn't work because we're locked into a, a psychological kind of a mindset, like an apartheid kind of a mindset. And it's a very, very interesting question that you've just asked. And I'm curious too to know what's it going to take for us to break out of that? Hopefully you're wrong. Hopefully yeah, it's not going too, to yeah. be poverty and economic consequence. But if, if you're right, then there's a very, very stark future in store for us. One that neither of us can laugh at really. You no, know? there'll be no fun in it. This winter, it's going to be very interesting here. The, the, we know the government, it's been leaked to the Telegraph and elsewhere. The government is proposing that should there be an epidemic of flu this winter, they're saying there will be an epidemic of flu. I don't know how they know this, but they're saying there will be. And there'll be an upsurge in coronavirus cases. So they're already proposing that to keep hospitality open during the winter, in order to go to a pub or go to a restaurant, you'll need to show that you've been double or treble jammed. Now, this, I'm not making this up, I don't do that. That's, you know, that's a very mild form of a parasite compared to, God love them, what blacks went through in, in South Africa and what Jews went through in Germany. Of course it is. Yes. But to me, it's tyrannical, Marcus. It's horrendous. You know, I like, I'm a journalist, you're a doctor, you're a gregarious man, you love a conversation, I love a conversation. To be told, well, you can't go to the pub unless you can demonstrate to us that you've had one of these treatments. It only gets worse from there is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Well, I, I think you're right, you know, without, without a doubt, this, this notion of kind of dividing society down the lines of the kind of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, look, that's been the political tool that's kind of kept re unstable regimes like Boris Johnson's regime yeah. or, or our kind of, a, a, the Irish kind of coalition that's kept them going, has this, is this kind of, this, this di division, divisionary kind of notions in politics, you know, there's no kind of, there's absolutely no, you never hear anyone from the, from the British British establishment or the Irish establishment reassuring people about the nature of COVID, that children don't die from it, that young people don't die from it, that, you know, herd immunity is happening. It's a reality. You don't see those things. It is very divisive. And this, this notion of the vaccine, um, you know, of having, of whether you can travel or whether you can go to the pub, you know, th that's a very, another very, very divisive chapter in this where politics and democracy perhaps you know, perhaps we need to be asking questions about democracy because democracy has produced this, has produced this mess, this political mess where leaders can't or won't 
or refuse to or see no profit in leading, but rather just follow on from this mass kind of media-driven fear and hysteria. So, you know, I, I think the, the point that you made, though, about the kind of the, 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 the apartheid in, in, in South Africa and Germany being more horrific, I mean, that's obviously true. But, you know, th- there are serious questions about the, the nature of these vaccines that are being used on young people and on, you know, women of childbearing age and, and the, the long-term effects effects that these are going to have. I mean, you know, recently it's emerged, there was a report on CNN there, you know, of an association with myocarditis and clots. And, you know, we're in a very, very bizarre world where you've got like individuals who absolutely have no risk, young, healthy people, no risk whatsoever from COVID. And they're willing to run the gauntlet of myocarditis, of uh, of clots, of of, of death, of, of, they're willing to run the gauntlet. Now it's a small gauntlet, I'm Sure, in the immediate sense, it's a small risk, but they're willing to take those risks on the balance of, of, of protecting themselves, themselves, young, healthy people, protecting themselves against a disease that's, that's fundamentally, you know, uh, of, of no harm to them. So we're in a very, very strange place where, you know, logic and common sense have kind of have gone out the window. And I think in answer to your question, this divisionary aspect of things in terms of you can't go to the pub of taking it, going to the, unless you've had the vaccine. I think, I mean, I'm speaking to you now from my, I'm sitting in a deck chair in my polytunnel and I've put in my tomato plants <laughs> and my corn has gone in, my peppers, my, my chili, my lettuce. And I, you know, six months ago, I started to learn the, learn the fiddle or, or, or the violin. Did yeah, you? I'm not saying that to kind of, to blow my fiddle or blow my trumpet. No, do, but do. What I'm I love it. Is that Instead of going to the pub, instead of these things, the sensible, the, the, the intellectually woke or the, 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 the awake minority within society will internalize. I mean, my friends are doing the same thing. We're, we're, internal, we're spending more time with our family, our pets. We're walking our dog on the beach. We're working from home. We're in the garden. We're looking at wildflowers. We're reading poetry and philosophy. We're, we're exercising music. We're, we're planting in the garden. We're becoming more we'll become richer, stronger people. Whilst the other side, the people who are getting the vaccine in order to get to the pub and have the point, you know, I see that as a kind of, not only as, a, as a, an intellectual cul-de-sac, but also as a health cul-de-sac, because I, I don't think that's a, very, um, that's a very enlightened way of going about your health or going about life in general, you know. How are you getting on with the violin? I'm not doing too bad. I'm not. Too, I'm, I'm focusing in on Irish music. I'm hoping that they'll be able to get to do a, a session or two. And I have With a good a friend of mine who's very good. So I'm doing a few airs and a few and a few jigs. I I don't know if you've heard of the the King of the Fairies. Do you ever yes, heard that? of course. I feel like the king. I feel like the King of the Fairies at times. But that's what I'm working on at the minute. The King of the Fairies. Fantastic. But I'm enjoying it thoroughly. It's my it's my escape. And I think healthy people like yourself and like us who who have retained the capacity for independent analysis of things and who who stick to factuals and believe people like the Department of Evidence Based Medicine at Oxford University. You know, people like us will find joy and richness in internalizing into those things, you know. But you become a great loss at the same time. I don't want to be negative because it sounds like you're making peace with everything that's been going on. 
but people like you and I'm not kissing your arse I'm not we've never met there's no need for me to do that and when we first spoke a couple of times we had a couple of you know proper robust conversations I like to to challenge I like to disagree and be curmudgeonly but I, but I don't I, not anymore you know because I, I can't argue with any of what you've been telling me each time you've come on at the same time you, you know people like you are, are a loss to society you know we need people like you well, well, we do, but but unfortunately, I mean, we're you know, I mean, I'm still here. I'm still writing. I'm, I'm working on an article at the minute. I write for Cassandra Voices, which is an independent um, um, newsfeed um, and and publication in Ireland. There's people like yourself. There's other doctors out there. You know, there's there's you've had you've had Pat Morrissey on on air with you before, and Pat is doing stellar work. There's another GP, Dr. Billy Ralph, who publishes a lot. You know, we are a minority, but you know, it's. it's it, 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 we're not we're not gone we're we're cer- I mean, at least certainly i'm not gone but i am in, i am resigned to the fact that you know something of the nature of a massive shift i mean in in south africa i think it was a miners strike that kind of brought things to the head or whatever yeah, yeah. but something something big is going to have to happen there's going to have to be some sort of a fracture i believe before people kind of you know wake up to what's going on now i'm sure the uk what the the cost of all of this is certainly going to nearly bankrupt the uk the uk is not probably not i don't know i'm not an economist but i would imagine the uk is not borrowing from the european central bank like ireland is ireland has just got free reign on the european central bank so there's a massive amount of kind of economic stability through bribery that's going on in ireland like doctors i mean gps i resigned my practice and closed my practice down unfortunately a, a number of months ago because I refused to give the vaccine I haven't given one vaccine nor have I received it but I, I, I was forced to I felt morally compelled to close my practice down but my colleagues who I'm I have to say I don't there's no other word for it but I'm disgusted with the majority of my colleagues my colleagues are perfectly happy to take you know over 30 euros a pop for each injection you know and you know I know empirically from my own practice I can do 30 40 vaccines in a day you know at 30 euros a pop coming in from the state plus bonuses the amount of money that's going into general practice to buy the silence you know of the majority and to buy kind of you know the 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 cancellation of people i mean i've effectively been cancelled my some of my colleagues who've spoken out about this have been cancelled but as i said at the start i i don't want to sound like i've checked out of things i haven't my beliefs are no different to yours and they on this on the corruption behind this and they haven't changed we haven't kind of checked out but we are waiting. Something has to give here, you know, the, but, 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 but they have the establishment and the system has covered all of its bases in terms of rewarding people so heavily financially for buying into this. So I don't see an immediate way out, you know, I, 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 hence, hence I'm spending a bit more time in the polytunnel. You know? Yeah, I love that. I love the polytunnel. Dr. Marcus De Bruyne is our guest. In the time we have left, I, I don't want to keep you from uh, tending to your, to your crops, as it were. <laughs> but in the time we have left, because uh, I, I, I really love speaking with you. And what I meant by, you know, it's a loss. It is a loss that you close the practice. It is. It's a loss to your patients. Don't forget, Marcus. Marcus, when, when I first spoke with you, I must have had about two dozen. And I was startled by this. Not that I got two dozen 
emails from people telling me that you were a lovely man and a great doctor and a caring person. But that, you know, that they found through you, they found the programme and felt that it was important that they told me that you were, you know, important in their lives and somebody they trusted. That's the loss. But I don't want to dwell on that. Uh, What I wanted to ask you was the Sunday Times this Sunday ran a story, you probably saw it, that said about 400 that we know of reports have come in where women believe their menstrual cycles have been adversely affected after having a jab. Now, what's interesting about that is, on Sky News this morning, or or this afternoon, I can't remember, a presenter asked an expert in inverted commas, what about in Brazil, this Brazilian variant in Brazil, seems to be harming pregnant women and their unborn children? Now, I've survived as long as I have as a broadcaster, not by being very good, but by never lying. I do not know that vaccines have caused pregnant women any mischief in Brazil. I don't know. But I want to know. I'm a journalist. I want to know. Why are they so quick to blame it on the Brazilian variant of COVID? Why not look into the vaccines? Now, the yellow card reporting system here in the UK shows that a lot of people believe that they've been harmed, some of them very seriously, by a vaccine. And in Europe, I believe across the EU, you're looking at something like 16,000 deaths. I I can't say definitely attributable to the vaccines, but at least 16,000 families believe that the jabs are causing harm. I've had doctors on, I've had epidemiologists on, and they believe that this might be the tip of the iceberg. So I can only ask you to speculate because it's, you know, it wouldn't be fair for me to say, well, tell us what's going on, Marcus, because you don't know either, but you're of a much more learned opinion than I am. What about these injuries and these reports? What do you think? Well, well, look, I mean, I, I, I don't know about the more learned nature of, of my opinion, you know, Richie, but I, I certainly do feel that, look, all va- I mean, a paracetamol has side effects without, you know, and, and should be used when you've got a pain or when you've got a headache. You don't just take them for the sake of it, you know. You take it when you need it, you know. And in the same respect, you know, these vaccines, the, you know, the, 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 there's DNA, there's, there's four available in Ireland, two DNA and two RNA vaccines. You know, they're all new novel approaches, new, new types of vaccine. They're not traditional vaccines. And I published a, 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 an article explaining the difference between these, these vaccines and uh, traditional vaccines. This is new territory. It's new science. It's new stuff. It hasn't been done before. This, the, the mechanism of action of these vaccines is all novel stuff. It's groundbreaking stuff. And, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, you know, there are side effects associated with the vaccine. And there, there, there's evidence-based um, uh, side effects in terms of myocarditis, the association with myocarditis or the risk of myocarditis and clots. Now, you know, when a woman has a period, what shuts off her period every month is the clotting mechanisms within the uterus. The uterus bleeds or the lining of the uterus sheds and there's, 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 there's vasoconstriction, there's clotting, there's, you know, that process, the process process of, you know, when people say, oh, you get clot, you might get a clot from the vaccine, you know, the vaccine is interfering with a mechanism 
clotting mechanism that's ubiquitous constantly in the human body uh, blood vessels are damaged or broken or you know abraded or whatever and have to be repaired the clotting mechanism isn't something that just happens kind of out of the blue when you cut yourself or whatever it's a it's a dynamic process that's constant and ongoing so when you have a vaccine that's interfering with that and it's and it's it's observable in severe cases with people having severe reactions, there's lots of other ways that it's interfering that aren't observable that we don't know. And at the end of the day, we didn't know, science didn't know that we were going to get myocarditis or we were going to get clots from, from the vaccine. So what does it not know in terms of what else are the unknowns out there? Like, as I said at the start, we're in a very bizarre situation where most people been driven by fear, having a very limited willingness to kind of engage with the facts here. Most people driven by fear are eagerly queuing up to take these vaccines. And that to me is the, is the absolute mystery. But the notion that, that we have side effects and the notion that people should kind of scratch their head and go, oh, this is a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, that of itself is kind of strange too, because of course you're going to get side effects. And certainly if you're getting interference with the clotting mechanism, and that's, that's de, de facto now at this stage, then certainly the biggest experience on a monthly basis that a woman has with clots is when she has her period. So, you know, there's huge issues with the vaccines. And, and as I've said to you before, I've no problem with the risk, the identified risk group of 80, 90 year old elderly residents in nursing homes with comorbidities. I've absolutely no problem with those getting vaccines, but giving people vaccines who don't need them Again, that's like the vaccines themselves. It's a brand new step that we're taking. And it's a step that doesn't have any validity or doesn't make any sense. But again, it's going to take some time before that's, you know, people wake up to that fact, you know. You know, this thing about the older people, you said this previously, and this is a genuine question now. It's not loaded in any way. I, I, I hear what you say. And again, you're the, 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 the medical expert and you are don't say you're not you are so I defer always to that is there not an argument that if an 83 year old gentleman or lady in a nursing home is you know not at the very best they're not at their May West as they might say in London and they've got a couple of comorbidities isn't that even more reason not to give them a treatment like an untested vaccine because that might oh, just look, tip yeah. them over the yeah. edge yeah, absolutely right, Richie. And let, let me clarify there. What's happening at the moment is is that, you know, elderly people in nursing homes are pretty much being compelled to take yeah. the vaccine. There's no there's no discussion. There's no talk with families. You know, in Ireland, the situation of actually monitoring side effects, it's in the realm of the utterly farcical. We've got an organization, the Health Products Research Association or HPRA or whatever, and they have an online website and a seven page form that if you have a side effect, you're supposed to get on and register the side effect online on this seven-page form. Doctors who are being paid the money to administer the vaccine are not recording side effects or anything like that. So you're absolutely right. Look, the, the, the broad-scale, you know, uh, compelling 
elderly people to take the, the, the vaccine. That's absolutely another, another element of the utterly ridiculous in all of this. On a case-by-case basis, I think, you know, if, if my mom had underlying conditions, and I mean, you know, at the end of the day, all of the facts of this have been thrown out. But if, if we pause and we pull the facts back in and we identify the risk factors, the risk profile, the age profile, we can, we can pretty much pinpoint the cohort that need to be vaccinated. And certainly we can approach family members and say, look, we have alternative therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin with certain proven efficacy. There's a recent article now in the American Journal of Therapeutics by our Dr. Tess Laurie of the, of the, of, of the, the, the evidence-based consultancy group in the UK. There's huge evidence for therapeutics and options, but you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be a fan of what's going on at the moment, force vaccinating elderly people, coercing them and mentally manipulating them into taking the vaccine. You know, if we were practicing proper medicine, humane medicine, we would be evaluating individuals on a case-by-case basis and making decisions and discussing with family members and doing things in a humane way. But there is no, there's very little humanity in this. It's all politics and profit and humanity and medicine, it seems, have, have left the building a long time ago. Final question for you today, and feel free anytime you want to come on and have a rant to give us a shout and come on about anything. <laughs> okay. You can be bashing the violin off the sides of the of, of the polytunnel. <laughs> well, that certainly, that certainly might get you sued. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix that on the violin there. Kill corona. <laughs> it might, it might do. But I had um, Doctor Roger Hodkinson on with me last night, and until he kind of um, spoke up about lockdown and other things last year. He was, um, well, he still is a respected pathologist in Edmonton in Canada. And I had a really interesting conversation with him last night, very mild-mannered gentleman. He said that doctors who, you know, withhold ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine from their patients, and I got into this with Pat Morrissey, and I was very, I got to Pat through yourself, and Pat was great when he came on the programme, loved having Pat Morrissey on, and of course Pat was given all sorts of um, abuse because he spoke up about ivermectin and he wanted to, he wanted to prescribe it, but, but Roger said to me, the doctors who are, I suppose, complicit in suppressing it, they're guilty of medical malpractice, he said, which is a strong thing to say. Would you go along with that as a final question? Is it medical malpractice to not use that? I, I think I, I, more medical malpractice, I think, is, is, in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, is using the vaccine in many GPs. I mean, I, I'm fortunate or perhaps unfortunate in the sense that I, I have a prior background in microbiology and cellular biology that I, I studied at Trinity. So I have an understanding of how genetic vaccines um, and gene-based therapies work. I think more um, criminal or more negligent is the fact that so many doctors, pharmacists, and so many people are signing up and administering the vaccines without fully understanding what it is that they're giving to people. To me, that, that, that will come out in history as perhaps, you know, one of the most grossly negligent aspects of this. It's, in terms of therapeutics, that's a very, very difficult nut to crack. You know, I mean, Pat Morrissey, for example, I know Pat very, very well. He's a, he has become, throughout this, this disaster, he's become a, close, a good friend. But Pat and I um, were subject to some very um, serious investigations yeah. by the medical 
political council because of our opinions. And one of the reasons that Pat was subject to such a serious investigation by the medical council was because he had said that he had prescribed hydroxychloroquine, yeah. which is outside of the formal guidelines. So whilst it might be negligent of doctors not to prescribe a drug like ivermectin that certainly has proven e efficacy, doing so puts you, your livelihood, your family at, at, in a very, very seriously dangerous position. So that's a difficult question to, to answer. You know, I, I think, you know, we also have to remember the fact when we think about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine that, you know, when, when young, healthy people are looking for or have COVID, they don't need hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. They've got essentially a, a coronavirus that's going to give them a flu-like illness. If they have no underlying comorbidities, they do not need to be taking ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and that sort of thing. So, you know, I think we can't lose the run of ourselves with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. They're good, they're good drugs. They've proven efficacy in the cohort of people who need them. But again, we have to rein ourselves back in and say, well, the vast majority of young, healthy people who come in contact with COVID have absolutely no need. They're going to get the symptoms yeah, of a yeah. common cold or, or a flu or maybe or perhaps in the majority of cases, no symptoms at all. You know, we have to kind of solidly hold on to those facts, facts. you know, before yeah. we lose the run of ourselves, you know. Very quickly, well, it, as quick as you want or take all the time you want, where can we read the the blog? Remind our listeners. Oh, I'm at, well, I write for Cassandra Voices and that's, Cassandra Voices has been a very good um, um, website or, or news source for, for the few, few, a few of the doctors who, who are publishing or, or writing or trying to inform. So I've recently published an article that explains kind of the mechanism of action of DNA and RNA vaccines and Dr. Billy Ralph has published there and, and I think Pat Morrissey has published or, 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 or perhaps will be publishing something there soon. So yes, Cassandra Voices is the name of the website. Come back anytime, Mark. When I say I'm proud of you, it's not sick of fancy. I mean it. And Pat Morrissey and Billy and everybody else who did the right thing. You'll never be forgotten. Uh, you should know that. It's important. Well, and, and thanks to you, Richie. You know, it's important that, you know, I mean, we have our differences. We don't have the same opinion on every subject. And that's a, that's a good and a healthy thing. But yeah. at the end of the day, what you've done and what you're doing in keeping the candle alight and keeping keeping that voice of independent thinking and that rational kind of approach to things and that logical approach, keeping that alive, you know, is absolutely essential because there's precious few. You know, I was talking to a good friend of mine. I won't drop his name, but he, he has a radio show um, in Dublin and he's one of the few DJs who has questioned this from the very outset, you know. Um, actually, I mention his name, Niall Boylan. Do you know, me mention Niall, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Niall does a fantastic job job questioning things, you know. But I had a conversation with him, you know, not so long ago, and I was he was asking me how was I getting on with the the, the medical council who have kind of uh, and the, the the four complaints that that are being investigated on on my behalf for um for 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 my 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 position on things. But um he he reminded me or he, he informed me he's had he's had several multiples of that. I won't give the figure nice. um, himself, you know. So at the end of the day. It's, it's a hard place to be to kind of to, 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 to be on the other side of this but you know eventually I'm confident that eventually you know the truth of it and things will turn I just hope it doesn't have to take the, 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 the serious consequence that, that you alluded to earlier in the show you know Absolutely Cassandra Voices you've been listening to Dr Marcus De Bruyne Russian County Dublin Marcus thanks I look forward to next time mate thank you for everything
Absolutely. Great talking to you, Richie. You take care. You too. Dr. Marcus De Bruyne, live on the Richie Allen radio show for Wednesday, uh, the 23rd of June, 2021. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll give you his Twitter details as well, in case you want them. You can find Marcus. Well, if you look for Marcus De, De Bruyne, B-R-U-N, you'll find him. But his Twitter is at I-N-D-E-P-D-U-B-N-R-T-H, at Indep. U-B-N-R-T-H. You'll find him very quickly there. Marcus De Bruyne. Let me read a few tweets and a few emails. Caroline got in touch in the first hour to say, every time I hear that by getting vaccinated, the young adults are protecting their communities, it reminds me of the slogans used to convince very young men to join the war, to protect their country knowing that the only place these young men were heading was the morgue, after being butchered. But as long as it was for the country, and for their countrymen, that was regarded as worthwhile, says Caroline. Nothing has changed, no one has learned. That's an excellent point there uh, from Caroline. Uh, Hi to Christine. Christine says, Richie, I know several people under 40. They go to the gym six days a week. When I asked them what jab they got, as they were all chatting about it, they said they hadn't a clue. One of them was diagnosed with a thyroid problem and refused to take the tablets the doc gave her. It is crazy, says Christine. That's an email. Uh, Thanks very much, Christine. John Brett says, how you doing, Richie? Uh, Here's a quote from Mark Twain for you. It's easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled. Never more apt, uh, John, than now, mate. Thanks so much for that. Hi to Jerry as well. Thank you, Jerry. I'll be in touch, by the way. Thank you very much, Jerry. Richie, didn't um, us Scots lead the way in London on Friday? No masks, no distancing, just togetherness and tonic wine. This is Gary, not Jerry. Excuse me. I'll read Jerry's comment in a moment. And Jerry, thank you, by the way. This is Gary. Gary says, Richie, didn't us Scots lead the way in London on Friday? No masks, no distancing, just togetherness and tonic wine. Buckfast. What a party. But just like the anti-lockdown march in London, it went basically unreported on the mainstream media. Come on, let's get it right. Up up these witches. Let's get it right up these witches. And goodness, freedom. Thanks uh, to Gary for that. Now I'll come to Jerry's message. I'm a bit of an idiot, me. (laughs) Just in case you didn't know. Uh, Jerry asked a question about Marcus and the practice. The practice is closed, uh, Jerry, sadly. So... To get a prescription for ivermectin, you'd need to ask your GP about it. Hydroxychloroquine is going to be more difficult, I think, in Ireland, based on what I've read. But um, ask your GP. If you do become ill, that is, I presume, Jerry, you're okay, that you're not unwell. And thanks, mate, for uh, your support for the programme, and thanks for your kind words. I appreciate it. Do you know what that means a bit to me? I-, I was asked to say this today. I tend to ignore it, Right. For for obvious reasons. But it does mean something to me when you tell me that life has been difficult in the last 12 months and that coming here at 5 o'clock Monday to Thursday somehow alleviates the stress of the times we live in. And I, I don't ignore that. I just don't know what to say about it other than thanks, I suppose, you know. 
I'm in the same boat as you. It's killing me, this. You know, it really, it's really upsetting me at times. I get really down about it. At times, it doesn't last very long. It's like, almost like a shower, you know. It's almost like a shower, a quick shower, you know, a bit of a sun shower. And then the sun comes out. I find something to re-enthuse myself again. I find some way to poke fun at these bastards. That's how, how, how I deal with it. But I am the same as you. You should know that. It's important that you know that. I'm struggling with it, with the reality that we're all faced with. I, I worry, like you worry. You worry about yourself and your husband or yourself and your wife and your children. I don't have any children. We don't have any children. I do worry about it, constantly. I wake, I, I get very little sleep anyway. I'm a four to four and a half, maybe five hours a night guy. I've come to terms with that over the years. I'm an insomniac. Nothing has ever worked. And I don't mind. I don't get fed up about the lack of sleep. I just get up and get on with it. I, I work very hard. But it, I, I spend a lot of time now thinking about it. What am I going to do when I have a roof over my head? Will I be able to go places? Will there be stormtroopers on the streets, you know? <laughs> I worry about these things, and I know you do. So, look, I hear you when you say it's good to have a show like this because, you know, you're not going mad. And we can have a couple of giggles along the way. And I have ignored that, partly because I'm a curmudgeonly, you know, grumpy bastard at the best of times. And I don't want to be hearing stuff like that. I don't want the responsibility, really, is what I'm saying. But I don't have any responsibility. You've you got to get out of your own head. Park your ego to one side. I don't have any responsibility for you. You don't have any responsibility for me. But here we are. We, we, we'll talk. That's all we'll do. And uh, look, I'll do a phone-in next week. We'll get into these things again next week. Martin is in Spain. It's been a while since I've heard from Martin. How are you doing, Martin? Are you well? Uh, nice to hear from you, mate. He was listening with great interest, was Martin, uh, to Gemma Cooper, former BBC presenter. Lovely, lovely lady. Was on with me on Monday. And Martin said he had a very similar uh, experience, the astral projection experience he had. And um, he ended up, he feels, in the presence of a uh, of grandparents and even a friend of his that had committed suicide. And that's what got him on the path, path even to natural cancer treatment. On a phone in a long time ago, Martin came on from Spain to tell us that he'd been given basically time to live and told to get his affairs in order. But he went down the natural route and uh, and is still with us, thank God. Hey, Martin, thank God for that. Uh, he listens with his lovely Linda in Spain. Spain has turned to shit, says Martin. Martin, that's no news to me. I've heard from Elizabeth in Madrid and others who tell me that Spain is certainly no uh, bed of roses at the moment. I've got a clip to play in a moment. I saved it for this point in the programme because I knew I wouldn't have a second guest tonight. I've got a very interesting bit of audio from Fox News that I will share with you in a moment after a tune from Pussycat Dolls. Pussycat dolls. I need to... Look, stop, 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 stop. Turn it off, turn it off. That's garbage now. That's car crash radio. That's beneath a man of my experience. Pussycat dolls. No, no. This is Pussycat by Mississippi. Yeah, that's better. I can sleep tonight now. 16 minutes past six. It's the Richie Allen Show. Live from Salford. Super Salford, by the way. That's Super Salford to you. 
Back in four minutes with plenty more chat. Don't go away. Pussycat and Mississippi, 20 minutes past six. This is uh, your Richie Allen radio show. There's none like it. Monday to Thursday, five to seven o'clock. That's five to seven, Monday to Thursday. And the programme is archived through Podomatic.com. It then goes to Spotify, to iTunes, to Podbean, to everything else. You can get it anywhere. It's on the TuneIn app and it plays around the clock on RichieAllen.co.uk. Before we hear this little bit of audio, I'd like to hear. I'd like you to hear. This is the state of journalism in 2021. I can tell you because I've got the news wires open all the time in the studio. Is that when the vaccine minister Nadim Zahawi finished his speech today at Downing Street? The journalists couldn't wait to ask him about coercing people into accepting the jabs. Uh, the BBC journalist, in inverted commas, because she's not really a journalist, Adina Campbell, asked Nadim Zahawi, because vaccine take-up rate is lower among ethnic minorities, isn't it time for a new approach? Hint, 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 hint. And shortly after that, another journalist in inverted commas, asked Zahawi, at what point will the government accept that not everyone can be reached by COVID vaccines? What more do we need to do to force people into taking these unlicensed, unproven treatments? That's your media. But I wanted to play this for you. I wanted to keep this back so we could have a, just a wee chat about it. Because the, you're going to hear from a gentleman. I've invited him on the programme and he will be with me next week. Very good stuff, this. Have I got the clip after all that, have I? Have I? Hang on, let's find the clip. Let's do it together. Here we go. Yeah. Right. Now, by the way, a number of you, including my erstwhile friend in Connemara, have been asking me about, you know, speaking about COVID angst, speaking about the misery of the existence. Would I not try a polytunnel myself? Nobody who can't manage to grow hair on their heads has any business putting down zucchinis and, and lettuces and strawberry runners. If you can't grow hair on your own bonce, you've got no business attempting to grow things in your garden. We've got a very big garden, maybe, or indoors, might attempt, might attempt even to grow things in it eventually. Anyway, sometime last year, I'm sure of it, yours truly spoke to you in a monologue about how lockdowns would be used in the future to offset the effects of climate change. Now, I did say that to you. I did say that to you. I know you'll remember. I'm pretty sure I said it. This is going to sound very big-headed now. But I was saying it before anybody else said it. They will use these measures, and then some, so they will, to offset man-made climate change, which is in itself monumental bollocks. Uh, Although there are some people in Scotland who think differently about climate change. You're born and bred in Glasgow and you've noticed the weather changing. The rain seems to be getting heavier. Sometimes you get up in the morning and it's bucketing it down. Yeah, sometimes it's bucking it down, which which might mean that man-made climate change is real. Anyway, so I was telling you last year, climate change in the future, lockdowns. 
you know, this side of the street can't drive at the weekend. You can only drive every second weekend. You can't go here, you can't go there. Think back to the beginning of the programme. Think back to the beginning of the programme. Listen to this. A machine that sucks in air and tested for COVID is being tested at Teesside Airport. If the trials are successful, airborne pathogen detection machines could be used in places where there are a lot of people. like Airborne pathogen detection machines which suck in the air. Now, in this case, we learned today, those will be used in big indoor areas, large, spacious indoor areas to detect COVID. But these machines will be adapted to test the air quality to suck the air in and to test for CO2 and other problematic pathogens. No doubt about that. And then you and me will be told that we can't do certain things. You can't run the dishwasher. Can't have the central heating on. You can't travel. Well, would you believe it? Tucker Carlson last night interviewed a man very briefly. He only gave him four minutes uh, but he'll get more than four minutes next week on the Richie Allen Show. Because I spoke with him today, a fascinating man called Mark Morano. And Mark Morano is on the case of climate lockdowns because they are already a real thing. Tucker Carlson. Well, we're learning that a World Health Organization staffer has written a report saying that a climate lockdown could be called for. It's like a COVID lockdown, a climate lockdown. Mark Morano is an author who has written a lot about climate change. He founded Climate Depot. He joins us tonight. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. A climate lockdown. Now, I would laugh this off the table, except we all just lived through the last 18 months, so we know that anything is possible. What does this mean exactly? Well, you know, in my book, Green Fraud, I detail two chapters on this, Tucker. This is the climate activists were, first of all, jealous when the COVID lockdowns happened. They were beside themselves saying, how is this happening? Everyone from Greta Thunberg to John Kerry, UN officials. And then they started saying, we need to follow this. If we can shut down for a virus, we can shut down for climate. And that's what we're seeing. There's even academics in Australia proposing adding climate change to death certificates. And Bill Gates has said the death toll will be greater. So they're following every step of the way. And it's not just, you know, a, a professor here or someone in academia. We have a major UK report coming out. We have an international agency report that came out uh, calling for essentially the same type of lockdowns. Everything from restrictions on your thermostat to restrictions of moving. Uh, you know, you can only fly in a climate emergency when it's, quote, morally justifiable. You know, kind of like a lockdown, you have to justify going to the store for essential services. They're going after freedom of movement. They're going after private car ownership. They're going after uh, everything it means to be a free person and turning it over to the administrative state. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Mark Morano. And you've got Bill Gates in there again saying that climate is going to kill far more people. The climate will kill far more people than COVID. Climate lockdowns. This is where it's going. It's 90 minutes today and 90 minutes is all you're getting. Thanks for being with me today. Massive thanks to Dr. Marcus De Bruin, by the way. What a what a gentleman he is. And Pat Morrissey and Billy and everybody else over there in God's country who've had the courage to stand up to the lies, to the bullshit and to the spin. Uh, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. It will be two hours tomorrow. Don't panic. Don't panic. Uh, Gareth Ike is amongst the guests. Lovely. Can't wait to speak to Gareth again. He's been uh, down, down, down south.
He's been down Cornwall way. I think Devon way for a few days. Back with uh, back with me on the show tomorrow. It's been six or seven months since he was on. Loads to talk about with him. In the meantime, do uh, stay in touch with the programme through the website richieallen.co.uk. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Uh, and by the way, by the way, uh, just to double down, we will do a phone in next week. Uh, and we'll have a two-hour phone in on anything, right? Okay, we'll do that next week as well. And while I think of it, uh, a totally unrelated programme, Sunday Morning Melodies, is every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time. It's a bit of fun. It's me, a few tunes and a few stories. Raising songs and stories, you might say. Sunday Morning Melodies. Sunday Morning Melodies at 10 o'clock every Sunday. Right, that's it, I'm off. Thanks for listening. Look after yourselves and one another. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Bye now. Bye now.